Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek Discovery podcast, an unofficial podcast about the CBS All Access series, Star Trek Discovery. Hi, I'm your host, Clarence. And as always, I'm joined by my fellow co-host slash Trekkies, but only one of them this time. <laughs> and that's going to be Cal Jones. How you doing, dude? I'm doing pretty good. Can't complain. Feeling better. So it's kind of under the weather. So I was kind of glad that we didn't record on our usual night. But I'm glad to be here and I am ready to discuss this episode. Awesome sauce. Of course, today we're here to talk about the episode 12 of season two of Star Trek Discovery through the Valley of Shadows. Uh, what we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek Discovery in somewhat excessive detail. In addition to talking all things Trek. So, Kyle, do you have any news, man? Have any news you want to talk about real quick? I actually do. And it's kind of related or it's more speculation or more fan wanting something and that something is there is a lot of fan speculation going around even i think they started someone started a petition for captain pike to get his own show have you heard that i have not but that can't happen <laughs> so what do you could, think it could happen but no uh, well, I do think a Captain Pike series would be interested. Uh, nah, man, we, we need to kind of stick with what we got already. We have so many different series that are proposed right now. Uh, we, I don't think we need yet another. So I don't know. I, but I love, I love Anson Mount as Pike though. Okay. Well, I will meet it halfway in the middle and say if they did a feature length on CBS All Access with him and Spock, uh, the Spock from the Spock we're seeing now, I'd be all for it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely could see a movie like a, just a two hour, like you said, feature length film. I could definitely go for that. That would be great. Agreed. Maybe, Agreed. Maybe even showing uh, a different the rest of the vision we got in this episode. You know, oh yeah, that whole thing out. I think could be pretty awesome. Oh, that, and to say now you've wet my appetite. That would be cool. Yeah, yeah. Do it. Just two hours. We can make it happen, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, so that means anyone listening to us needs to start going online and saying we want more Captain Pike in a two hour movie. Yes. <laughs> Let's frame it just a little bit differently. Exactly. So I also have just a little bit of news. Uh, DS9 documentary, What We Left Behind, coming to theaters in May, I think May 13th. And I'll just read the copy here as as it reads on TrekNews.net. The highly anticipated Star Trek Deep Space Nine documentary, What We Left Behind, is set to debut in theaters in May. The crowdfunded documentary's theatrical release will be done as part of the distribution deal that was signed with Shout Factory earlier this year and will include the Phantom Events one night screening across the U.S. on Monday, May 13th. Now, I've already seen our friend uh, uh, Alan Seiler say that drop whatever you're doing, friends. We're going to see this on May 13th. So I think people are uh, 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 chomping at the bit to see this documentary. So my question is, since we are not in Atlanta, where our friend Alan Seiler is, are we dropping what we're doing to go see this? Yeah, probably not. But I do want to see it, though. So I, who, I do uh, want to see it, too. Uh, yeah, I agree. Guys, if you like this show and you've been with us for a long time, I want to say thank you for joining in. But we also want you to tell a friend. Let's get more people in here uh, and, and get someone else on board to subscribe and, and follow along and, 
you know, we're just trick fans here doing what we can to talk, talk out these episodes because we do love them and we are glad to have you on board. So Kyle Jones, are you ready to get into our review of through the valley? I am more than ready. I, I I've been waiting to talk about this. So yes, a hundred percent. So Star Trek discovery through the valley of shadows, uh, series two or season two, episode 12, which aired April 4th. 2019, directed by Douglas Arianakoski, who also directed The Sound of Thunder and Lethay, and also the short track The Brightest Star. A fourth signal leads the USS Discovery to an insular world where Pike is forced to make a life-changing choice. Burnham and Spock investigate a Section 31 ship gone rogue, leading to a discovery with catastrophic consequences. As I say very badly. So, Cal, let's go ahead and just get your high level view of this episode. What are your overall thoughts? Overall thoughts is once again, I am loving Discovery more and more the more I watch it. I love the fact that it dealt with time. You know, I know we've had recent conversations on this show talking about our other co-hosts not liking time. Well, you know, I'm a big Doctor Who fan. I've got to love my time here. And I like that some of the way they presented the Klingon crystals. And I, I thought that was cool. So I really enjoyed this episode. What about you? I'm curious. Yes, I too really enjoyed this episode. I think it tied a lot of not really tied loose ends because we knew what would happen to Pike eventually anyway. Uh, but I do like how they shed a little bit, a little bit more light onto that event, you know, let us visually see some of it, which I thought was fantastic and just shows Pike's fortitude. Maybe that's the wrong word as, as a Starfleet captain to always do the right thing. So I love that about the episode. I also love the Burnham Spock adventure, which we'll get into. And, um, you know, we got Jet Reno back, which some people love. I don't know if I do so much, but we'll I don't. <laughs> I'll just be bl- blunt and, br- and, you know, brutally honest. I don't like this character. Number one, because I want to call her Janet Reno every time we hear the name. <laughs> and I, and it's not me trying to be, you know, funny and making a joke. It's I hear Jay and Reno and I think Janet Reno's not Jet. But, um, yeah, well, I, I mean, I do think the plus side to her, her being on the show is that it kind of takes some of the comedy relief from Tilly, which personally, I like Tilly being more of a serious scientific character than just always being the comedy, comedy foil of the show. So I do kind of like that she's there to be sort of, sort of the comedic element a little bit more. But yeah, uh, she does wear thin on me, but. There are so many people that love that character. Yes. And and you know what? If everything is for what I like or everything is for what you like, then it's going to be a boring show. That's what makes any show good is having that diversity. So and she brings that as a character. Yeah, well, let's go ahead and get into her arc in this episode, which is kind of small, but we can discuss it. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. So we see where she comes in to console Stamets at, in the mess hall, in the mess, uh, which I do like this scene because it shows a lot of the crew uh, interacting, which really, really fun. Um, 
what do you do you think she's being a little bit too pushy and trying to get Stamets to mend the defenses here? Mm. I'm torn. I'm torn 50-50 because part of me wants to say, because I don't like the character, yes, she's being too pushy. But sometimes is pushy needed? You know what I'm saying? If you don't push that person, is that person going to make that change until they're pushed? So I, I could go 50-50 either way, depending on, the, I guess, the mood I'm in. What about you? I'm curious. I mean, well, I mean, some relationships are mainly come together because somebody's pushing on both sides. And I feel like this is kind of what she's doing here. We see as she has a later conversation with Hugh Ronswood Pooh Culber that that she's she's <laughs> she, <laughs> good one. She, she sees an opportunity where obviously these two individuals are really into each other. They're just going through a hard time. So she's doing what she's can to, to, to try to uh, bring them back together, which I guess that's fine. You know, I I want to add if they would have somehow established that she had a friendly relationship with the two of them, I think that would add a separate layer and make that interaction make a little bit more sense. But everything that we've ever seen her interact with the two of them has been pretty much going back and forth with Stamets and kind of like him riding her, her riding him. Yeah. You know, I just, I I just could, like I said, go 50, 50 on it. And it always goes to like, I feel that one of the huge drawbacks or setbacks to the discovery writers is that some things they have, you know, set up from the first episode of the season, but then some things they try to just throw in there. And I know, you know, time constraints, actors being in certain places at certain times, it's hard to uh, uh, corral everybody. But, you know, some things feel like they're maybe a little bit too forced. And, and you know, if we just had a couple of scenes with maybe her uh, and Jet Reno, you know, in more of these these uh group environments with them before now, maybe it would have felt a little bit more natural. Okay, so let me pose this to you. When you want to say more natural or maybe feel more organic to the show, if that had have been Tilly having a conversation trying to push the two back together, I would have had a million percent thought that that was just perfectly logical that that she would do that yeah it would have made a lot more sense and then our friend uh, eric hetherington in canada who's always writing in giving me good feedback i I love for him to write in and do that but he he wrote on this particular instance that it was cool to see jet reno back and i'll expand on a little bit what he says but her heart to heart mentioning her loss which i didn't see that coming that kind of came out of left field but it was a very touching moment and things like that do make you see the bigger picture which i think is what she's trying to get you know culber and the stamps to do true good point very good point cool so other than that i think there's two other main kind of arcs in this episode of course we're going to have burnham going off and doing her thing and of and on the other side we have pike going to retrieve the time crystal so they get the signal another red signal appearing over bereth a klingon planet which immediately uh tyler is like why is this signal appearing over the place where he just left vok and laurel's love child 
So he's kind of worried about that from the get go. I mean, what are just our overall thoughts on on what on them going back to this planet so soon? If they would have gone back and it would have been the baby, I would have said, uh, you're trying to make it too much of a soap opera. But because it dealt with the time fluctuation or the time moving differently and you you actually showed well i hope this is not a spoiler but you actually showed the child as a grown-up and you know having seen that i almost felt like that they were trying to make this character's being come full circle and say, okay, well, the next time they go back to the planet, he's an old man. And the next time he's dead. Oh, wow. That would be cool. That would be that, freaking cool. So I, I, I just thought it was really a good way to show the power of those crystals. And, but, but instead of just saying, well, you can't stay on the planet. And if you stay on the planet too long, you're going to start aging. So you can't stay down here long. That wouldn't have been very real to me, but seeing you know, what I was expecting to be a baby and seeing it as an adult, I think that made the crystals have a lot more weight than what they would might have had otherwise. Yeah. And, and we don't know if that effect of, you know, coming back in two months and it's a full grown person. Is that applicable to to everything or is it was it just him? Because didn't did Tyler grow up on that planet or Vok? Mm. And, and he makes no mention of these time crystals when it's brought up. At any time until now. So mm. it just feels, feels kind of weird. <laughs> mm. So maybe let me let me speculate this. If they live inside the city, they are special and maybe they age differently. But if they live outside the city, out in the borderlands, I, I might call it, then they're just like any other yeah. Klingon or alien. I don't know. Well, I don't, I don't think it is a city because they made the statement that the monastery is the only man-made structure on the planet. So mm. uh, maybe just the keepers of the crystals have this unique ab- ability, and maybe Tyler wasn't the keeper of the crystal. I don't know. So, so maybe they're called Klingon lords instead of time lords. Oh, I know. I knew what you were going for. I just refused <laughs> to uh, acknowledge. Indulge me. Uh, yeah, I refuse to acknowledge that. And you've been saving that one all week. Yes, I have. <laughs> oh, yes, I have. The Chancellor Laurel meets up with Discovery, and they we figure that Tyler nor uh, Laurel can go down to the planet because, you know, Tyler's supposed to be dead, and so is his son. So uh, he can't make any appearances. But to that point, like he's like a member of Section 31, and I know they're not supposed to ever be seen, but he's been on Discovery for like a long time. You think the news would get out somehow, but be that as it may, be that as it may, Captain Pike chooses to go down to breath. What do you think they want to do with the time crystal? Cause he seems like it's imperative that he goes down here to retrieve that time crystal. What do you think he's aiming to do once he gets it? Okay. So my initial thought would be that they would use the time crystal to go and retrieve Burnham's mother from wherever it is that she's in the future. But going back to, I think, what we said on our last episode, what if going back into the past and preventing her from going to the future or preventing the control uh, user interface from being created or whatever the case may be, maybe that creates a 
domino effect that all these other things don't happen because control's not there. Yeah. So I don't. I'm I'm kind of torn. Curious. What What about you? What you know, are you? I mean, that, that's where I get confused because it would seem that control eventually obtaining this Charon data was an eventual an eventuality that was going to happen regardless if Burnham, Mama Burnham, Gabrielle Burnham had ever went to the future at all. Because the first time she went, she noticed that everything was destroyed. So I don't I don't know if allowing her not to go to the future would prevent it. Um, I, I guess it's kind of I don't I don't know if her going to the future is what causes it or it was going to happen anyway. I guess that would be the how right. I would frame it. So is that like a sort of almost a, a paradox to some degree? Because is she creating it? Because I think that's by what going, you're saying. Yeah. By going, is she creating it? Yeah, I don't think she is, but it could be. I guess we don't have that a clear assessment of that at this point. Good point. I mean, good, good way to say. So it. I mean, so I don't know. I think I think they could use the time crystal in a few ways. They could use it to put to send the discovery into the future. But in my opinion, if we're going to take what happens in the short trek Calypso into account, I still think that discovery is going to be left in a nebula somewhere for a thousand years. I still think that's going to happen. Now, um, are they going to put the time crystal on it and then leave it in a nebula for uh, Mama Burnham to eventually get on there and, and use the time Ooh. crystal to send a, send a suit in the future like they're going to do anyway? I don't know. Ah. I'm kind of confused on it. So, uh, What if the character – okay, so she's on a planet, right? Yes. Isn't that okay? So, what if in the series finale we see a um, spaceship come to wherever she's at, and it's the guy from uh, Calypso episode that we see, you know, in the far future, and he comes and takes her back to Discovery or whatever, and that's when she finds the time crystal. That would be awesome, but everybody's dead, so it can't be him, right? Ah, okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I don't Good it's, point. It's so confusing. I've seen so many theories pop up, which is cool. You know, I love seeing the people sort of like the first season of Discovery, people uh gravitating around these possibilities of what's gonna happen. And that's kind of to me what makes Discovery fun. Uh it's never been like that in any other Star Trek that I can remember where people were just straight up theorizing uh, how plots will unfold. So I find that the fun, the fun thing about discovery. So I don't know. I don't know. So many possibilities, I guess. Yep. Good point. And as we get on down to Pike going to Bereth, what do we think about his interaction with Tenovic? Tenovic? Tenovic. 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 Yeah. Uh, I guess you talked about it briefly already, him being the son of, um, of, of Vok and Laurel. And the twist, you said you liked that actual twist. In the, I, I did in the like it. I didn't know that it was the son at first. That was kind of a shock. I do like uh, there is a look about him. And the first thing I saw for any Babylon 5 fans that are listening, the first time I saw him with, you know, with in fullness, I was like, wow, he looks like a Membari. Really? The, the, yeah, he looked like the headpiece. Uh, lens. Yeah, the headpiece thing. Production note: the same guy who plays Cole, who played Cole Shaw as well early in this season. Uh, Kenneth Mitchell is uh, actually playing Tanavik there as well. So uh, he's he's has a lot of Klingon reoccurring roles, which is kind of awesome. Cool, cool. And, but yeah, I did. I, I I liked him. I liked his character. I liked 
you know, the presentation. And I like being able to figure out who he was and having that, oh, that is cool moment. So, yeah, I liked him. Yeah. So I guess now I want to get into Pike not backing down and having this determination to retrieve this time crystal. Man, man, man. <laughs> so uh, Mama Burnham already alluded to Pike's fate. She said, you know, um, I know more about you, but you wouldn't want to know it or something to that effect. And man, Pike has to face his destiny, rather bleak destiny, <laughs> head on, head on, which we know from Menagerie one and two from TOS, which I think we've talked about on this episode, on this show already. Yes. Uh, but man, having to face that destiny and I think. And and maybe you can chime in if you have any comments, but I think maybe one of the cool, coolest things about Pike, you know, we've talked about him all season, season being like the, the, the model Starfleet captain. And which is so funny because I feel like we were thinking that same thing of George O, uh, the real Captain George O or the prime Captain George O before this season came along. But man, Pike just exudes this, um, cap, what a, everything a captain should be through and through, uh, this certain amount of honor. Um, and he talks about the different points of compassion, sacrifice, service, love. And man, Pike just looks <laughs> the valley of the shadow of death head on and says, you know, regardless of what's going to happen to me, I have to do this. And we see this, what we hear about in TOS. He has his accident with Delta radiation as he's the fleet captain at this point. And, um, it, it restricts him to this life support chair. So this is what I consider to be one of the times when you use a character that has been around for so many years, but that regardless of how much we think we know about, the writers are able to interject something that adds another layer to it, but doesn't detract, take away or diminish the story that was already existing. Yeah. And I loved the fact that we found out that this character knew for maybe five years, 10 years, 20 years, however many years he knew that this was coming or speculated that this was coming and still made the choices that he did. I think it strengthens and makes this a much more vibrant character. That's, it, that's my two cents. It, it, it puts, I mean, I agree a hundred percent with what you just said. It puts so many layers on top of what we knew from what four episodes into a 40 year old show. You know, it puts so many layers on his fate, you know, knowing you're going to die. You know, it's, it's different. Okay. Something happens to you and you have to live with it, but knowing in advance, like you said, maybe five, 10, whatever, however many years, knowing that fate awaits you and what drives you to still choose that fate is, uh, goes back to the, the need of the many. And, and he's willing as a Starfleet captain to look that head on and still make the choice to, to do what he has to do. Uh, for the Federation. And uh, again, just exudes everything you would want in a captain. Yes. Uh, agreed. A hundred percent. Yeah. I was going to ask, do you think they're just trying to make, they're just making him like the God captain now? <laughs> you know, like the, 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 
I mean, I think they are, but I love it. I love every minute of it. Every minute of it. But you know, at the same time, uh, I, I think Pike is not without faults. We see where he uh, maybe makes some rash decisions. Maybe he goes against protocol a few times, like every captain does. But still, everything about him is Zeus that 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 beacon on a hill captain that we we all would want to see. So just awesome. I think that it is another clever writing of. And I'll go back to what my news item was from the very beginning. You've introduced a character and and within, what, 11, 12 episodes, you've, well, I should say reintroduced a character. And in those set episodes, you have a fan base who's clamoring for more and you have two reviewers sitting here reviewing this episode, talking about how awesome this character is, which I think from the the writing perspective when this character leaves at some point in discovery future it just makes that leaving that much more impactful because we actually like and care about this character yeah and supposedly we know that he won't come back from season two i hope that's not a spoiler but it's been in the news everywhere for the past few weeks um, so yeah, he's probably not going to be back, which is another sad thing. So maybe reason for that petition to bring him back for a feature lit film. <laughs> yep. Mm. <laughs> so speaking of capturing, uh, Christopher Pike, I was looking up at fandom.com and I am looking at his bio as, you know, biography on this site. And it looks like Anson Mount played the character in the years 2257 and the years 2266. And then it says that Sean Kenny, and this would be the scene from the original series that we're referring to, which is 2267. So it's right around the corner for him oh, in his wow. time, time stream. So we may see it in this season. <laughs> we may, we, we, we Oh, that would be sad if that's how he goes out yeah. that he saves someone and that's how he leaves that oh that would be yeah that would be harsh yeah yeah so yeah uh, he retrieves the crystal and we'll see what they do with that in the next episode i guess indeed uh oh yeah and real quick before i talk about the burnham spock arc it was awesome for him to come back and give that information to laurel and tyler and and then tell them that tanavik is grown and he's doing well <laughs> and here's your torch barrel, uh, torch bearer, um, medallion or whatever it is, emblem. And I, I just loved every, every minute of that, those scenes there. I thought they were great. So I have a question. I'm curious, uh, for you about that scene. Yeah. Do you think that the aging of him was to, again, go, going back to my, my comment about not making it a soap opera that you didn't want there to be that love triangle of, well, you know, I can't be um, with Tyler. You know, I'm um, Barnum saying I can't be with Tyler because, he, you know, he's got a baby with a, with Laurel and I'm not going to be. You, do, do you think that was part of the reason or do you think that had anything to do with it? You know what? Uh, I think you could say that. But as we see in this episode, when he actually eventually confesses to Burnham that he has his love child. Burnham doesn't even flinch. She is past all of that. And I think that kind of shows the type of person Burnham is becoming where it seems like before that would have been the nail in the coffin for them. Right. But, but she understands 
and at a time where she's going through something that is having her mother being thrust 950 years in the future, she's understanding of things. She, she knows that everything isn't cut and dry and it seems like she's okay with it. And, it, and as far as it releasing him, I think it does to a certain amount, even though I don't think it affects Burnham's opinion. I do think it releases uh, him a certain amount because it's different from having a little kid versus having a grown kid running around. You know? Yes. Uh, Tanavik has already he, he's already seen his destiny, so to speak, and he knows what the meaning of his life is. And they don't have to wonder or ponder what that's going to be, what's going to be in store for him going forward. He's already found his destiny. So I think it's, it frees them a certain amount to know that he's there, still love them, but still going with their lives. Mm, good point. Good, good way to say it, actually. Cool. So let's go into the other arc of the episode. And that's going to be the, uh, Burnham Spock team up. So Tyler gets news that a Section 31 ship has missed its very strict check in and they see that as an anomaly and they go into to investigate. So I have to ask you, sir, upon arriving and see, seeing the sea of bodies and one lone survivor, was this just an obvious giveaway that something nefarious was afoot? Well, I actually, and this is so just bear with me before I say what I'm about to say, because you're going to think that I am just like the cruelest person by what I'm about to say. But again, bear with me. I actually laughed when I saw the bodies floating around in space. Oh, you suck, man. No, 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 no. But but again, <laughs> bear with me because you, you will you will understand. And, and the reason I laughed was and I even uh, posted it to the other co-host. I heard our co-host Carrie talking in a previous episode. I think it was the episode that I missed uh, a few weeks back. And Carrie made a comment about what happens when you put all these caskets into this into space. They're going to be floating around and eventually they're going to run into one of them. Well, they ran into uh, it wasn't in a casket, but 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 when they ran into the body, I couldn't help but laugh <laughs> because I was hearing Carrie in my head talking about the caskets in space. Yeah, he he definitely mentioned that in a few episodes ago. So yeah, I I see why you giggled a little bit there. Um, uh, point taken. <laughs> okay, thank you. So I wasn't being like cruel. I st- I, Any, so, at least not any more cruel than you usually are. So you know, I appreciate it. But uh, but yeah, uh, it. I, I, you almost knew. I mean, you couldn't not know what was about to happen. That that control was there. Yeah, and, and I have to say, the fact that they smartly rooted it in—you know—I don't remember this guy, Kamon Cam, uh, Gant from the Shinzo back in the Battle of the Binary Stars episode last season. I don't remember him. I guess he was on the ship, but. um you have to, I have to give them credit for rooting that in a character which Burnham already knows and has history with, which makes it, uh, makes, it makes sense for her to gravitate and be a little bit more naive about maybe controls and tensions as she's going into the endeavor. Mm. Yeah. Good point. We get on a ship. They come up with this thing where Spock has a runoff to do some computer techno babble stuff to uh, weed out control out of the systems and lock and get them, push them into one system so they can lo- uh, 
so they could quarantine him off or whatever. But the whole excuse is really to separate Spock from Gant and Burnham. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> Burnham fights again. Do you think we had way too many Burnham fights this season or are you loving it? Mm. I love seeing Burnham in the scene she's in. She steals the scene, and I love seeing her and Spock together. So whether they're playing chess or whether they are fighting to the death, to to you know fighting someone else to the death, I'm all on board. So um, yeah, Sonika was always she's always awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I think she is such a great actress that she could you know read the newspaper, and I think she'd be out, uh, outstanding at it. Yeah. So, so, so Burnham eventually gets what's going on and she, she realizes Gant is control. Now, let me ask you, do you remember the scene where he has her pinned down and he has like the, the nanoprobes in the syringe right above her eye? Do you, do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. Why, why didn't he just like, I, I know we probably wanted to thrust the syringe in her eye and squirt the nanoprobes in, but wouldn't it have been the same thing of just like squirting it? The liquid onto her eye, maybe wouldn't it accomplish the same thing? I I think I don't know. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. Maybe that was more for visual dramatic effect. Because think about it: if if I have somebody that has a glass of liquid that they're about to pour out on me, and or I have someone with a syringe that they're about to poke in my eye, just by the nature as a viewer. I'm going to be more apprehensive of the syringe than I would be a glass of something. I don't know. Or, if you say you have a vial full of any type of disease on my eye, I'm a be- <laughs> I could, I, I could give you that, but still there's just something about a visual thing. You know, think about it. More people are, I would say, uh, scared of a syringe than just a vial. Yeah. And maybe it maybe it has to penetrate the bloodstream or something in order to work. So maybe I will give them that much. But I thought he would just squirt a little bit in her eye anyway. Anyway. Um so uh we get that scene and then eventually, you know, they fight and, and, and Burnham um narrowly escapes as the nanoprobes pour out, out of Gant's body. Um, any thoughts on this final little scene here? And maybe we can just get into the end game because there's not really a lot to say here. It was a lot of action. It was awesome. But Burnham once again narrowly escapes. And I guess I'll talk real quick about Burnham maybe losing confidence as did I in her being this miraculous person with all these, um, everything having a deeper meaning and thinking that she is her destiny to be this savior and which she, she certainly has been drinking the Kool-Aid as, as witnessed by, uh, the last episode when she thought she was the red angel. Do you think she maybe went too far in the other direction when she thought that all of these signals mean nothing and that she purely wanted to go off logic and fact going forward. Did you think she maybe went too far in that direction? No, I actually saw someone trying to process. I don't know what's happening. I've seen my mother who I thought was dead and I am going to go logical because there's too much emotion. We've got to survive this. I saw it more as a coping mechanism, not necessarily just, well, if I'm not going to be the end all be all of all time, then, you know, I'm going to go in the other direction. I saw it more coping mechanism. 
Yeah, I, I kind of have to agree. I do think they should still, she should have still been looking for deeper meaning and stuff, but I will agree that it always should have been based off of scientific fact. I can see why you would think that these signals and going doing these things would have you to think it has deeper meaning, but I don't know. I, I just know there's more left on the table to be explained about what these signals really mean and who is actually generating these signals. We have two more episodes to figure all that out. So I have a question for you. Do you think this, you know, you just said two episodes left. So do you think we will have a two part finale or do you think each will be self-contained in their own right? They might be connected as is, as every episode this season has been connected to a certain extent. So, you know, I think, I think, I don't know if it'll be, I don't think it'd be any different from the episodes we've had thus far because they've all been connected anyway. Yeah, I agree. I don't think we're going to get that to be continued. I just think it'll end and we'll go into the finale. Speaking of continued in the next episode which if you saw the preview spoilers if you did not see the preview we're going to briefly talk about that we're going to zahia did you notice that from the preview so you're going to tell me about the preview because that is something i have not seen oh i'm sorry i won't spoil it no 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 no. i want to be spoiled so 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 tell me well there's one scene on the preview that shows pike standing in front of the view screen and zahia is actually on the screen and there's also been production pictures official you know um, preview pictures that came out which shows Poe Queen Poe from the short trek runaway actually coming back to the discovery so uh, Poe is going to make a reappearance so this might be the episode where they tie in the other short treks now I don't know about the Harry Mud one I don't see how that was going to tie in at all but looks like they're going to tie in the other two short treks uh, very shortly here. So that should be very interesting. Mm, yes. And again, we've only got two episodes. So if whatever they're going to do, <laughs> they're going to have to like do it quickly. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree, sir. Uh, any other takeaways from this episode? You know, I am going to go into my broken record mode and restate this is by hand far hands down one of the best Star Treks I think I have seen. So I look forward to the next episode and I look forward to season three and whatever else they've got Star Trek coming because this just seems like a resurgence of Star Trek and, and, and in a good way. So yeah. that's my summary. It's, it's definitely going to feel like a slow time when when upcoming uh, later this year, we're going to have the Lower Decks cartoon and other short tricks debuting later this year, as well as the Picard series, I think is either early next year or later this year. I'm not sure on the time frame. I think they started shooting actually a couple of days ago. So um, w- there's a lot of trick coming down the pike and I'm on board for it, man. Yep. Uh, I, oh, and just the just the idea that we will be seeing all these years later in a TV show, not in a movie, in a TV show, Jean-Luc Picard. That that yeah. shouldn't make anybody excited that's a Star Trek fan. Well, man, uh, on that, I've been watching a lot of TNG lately, and I've seen Picard – well, I've seen um, uh, Patrick Stewart lately as well. He looks so much older, and I, I'm – 
I hope they do him justice on screen, but he looks so much older now, which he is what he's like in the late seventies or mid, mid to late seventies. Mm-hmm, probably. So man, uh, I hope it's good. <laughs> I hope it's good. And they have been announcing some of the cast members that are going to join them. I wish I had their names uh, on hand here, but they have announced uh, several of the cast members that are going to be joining them on this series. So, yeah, which they're they're young people. So (laughs) maybe he's going to be like the old mentor mentoring these young bucks in the shape. Uh, Mm. It could be interesting. I don't know. I'm I'm going to speculate that some of the characters that will probably be returning you won't hear about until the last minute more for buzz for when the show actually airs. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And they can just sprinkle them in for all I care. They don't have to be like regulars. Now, now one that I think that would be interestingly difficult to do that, have to create a storyline for is to explain why a robot looks older. Well, I think they've tried to explain it before. Um, by saying that, well, they did it with a gr- a gray streak in Data's hair because he said he wanted to be more distinguished or something. Ah, got gotcha. a flash forward scene. Uh, so I mean, they they could probably explain it or do some CG goodness to make him look like he did before. So who knows? Who knows? Well, speaking of who, uh, Kyle, man, what have you been working on, podcast related or otherwise? Well, we just finished recording last night our review of Doctor Who Series 3. That is the 2007 series. So we were wrapping that up. And uh, Lee Shackelford, our co-host on Discussing Who, also was on Discussing Comics. And we talked about the very beginning of Captain Marvel. And I'm not talking about Carol Danvers. So uh, those two episodes will be coming out Later this week, um, or you can, depending on when you're listening to this episode, check out Discussing Who or Discussing Comics and uh, let us know what you think. So what about you? What else are you working on? Well, I first say that I can't wait to hear you guys gush over Captain Marvel. Uh, I, I, I bowed out of that conversation because I didn't want to catch any spoilers from the movie. <laughs> but I can't wait to listen because I know Lee Shackelford is a huge fan of the real Captain Marvel. So I will say this. We, other than me making a comment on the acting, that is the only thing we said about the movie. We stayed in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s and talked literally Captain Marvel history. Awesome sauce. Well, what I'm going to suggest you guys go and check out is the Relativity Podcast, which you can find in any of your various podcatchers. Just search for Relativity Podcast. And you can also find it at relativitypodcast.com. And yeah, I am really, even though I'm on it, I'm on it. I am a, am a voice actor on that show. Um, I love it so much and I am, I, I've been pining for the next episode, even though I know, kind of know what's going to happen. So, uh, Lee's just doing a wonderful job with the Relativity Podcast. And I suggest anybody who, uh, wants to hear a science fiction audio serial for your ears and mind to head on over to relativitypodcast.com. The only thing I would add to what you just said, we are or you guys are in season four of that. So you have anyone listening, you can go and check it out from the very beginning all the way back to season one. And you can watch or listen. You can watch it on YouTube. You can listen to an episode in 15, 20, 25 minutes. So, you know, it's no time commitment, but 100 percent enjoyable. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I also say anybody that has feedback about this episode, things we didn't mention, things we brushed over, what we got wrong. uh, Please send that feedback into fans at discussingtrek.com or hit us up on any of the social medias at discussing trek. Thank you guys for joining me and uh, Cal for the rest of the crew that are not here. Carrie, Jonathan and Jeremy. Until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe.